All right, so if you were a hotshot fighter pilot, what would your call sign be? Oh, oh, oh boy. Um, hmm. well, that's a good question. And I I grew up kind of wanting to be a pilot, so I should have this answer. Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it would be? Um, no. Um, it, my, my tagline or my thing on my plane, it would be Nostradamus. That is an amazingly nerdy take on this. Thank you. <laughs> That's how I would see it. I would be able to smash all my opponents because I would know the future. Fair enough. What would yours be? Uh, honestly, I'm going to go with Heat Seeker because apparently a lot of people are going to be upset about us picking this fucking movie for our podcast. And I'm going to take the heat for that. That's on me. <laughs> We've already gotten complaints <laughs> that this movie does not deserve to be on here. Yeah, um, I think so. I've gotten quite a bit of feedback from others when I've mentioned that this episode's in the making. People are mad. They're mad about it. <laughs> and we've, we've had some controversial ones before. Face Off, famously, we got some pushback on Face Off. Yeah, Back to the Future 2 was one. That's that... their fault. The audience voted for Back to the Future Part 2 over Showgirls. That's not on us. I wanted Showgirls. <laughs> I've been saying it for the last uh, 17 weeks. I voted for Showgirls. But how are you going to feel about this one being on your shoulders? You're okay with I'll that? take the heat. That's on yeah. me. It's interesting, right? Because I think us choosing, we needed to choose a big movie for our 50th episode. 50th episode. And choosing Top Gun, if we haven't said already, we've chosen Top Gun to uh, be our 50th episode. Also, welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. <laughs> and I'm Nolan. And yes, Top Gun, 50th episode. Um, we needed something that was going to get people's attention. And the last time we posted Tom Cruise's picture on our Instagram account for Cocktail, I think it was the most like upvoted and liked post we have ever made at the time yeah for sure like yeah. a lot of love yeah, young tom cruise so maybe we'll get some more love for for dipping back into that well um watching it again it's hard to say that it deserves to be on our podcast i have well, some let's, criticisms let's of it. save we'll it to the those, ratings but yeah let's save it for the ratings yeah. but it's a controversial one for sure a big movie i will admit my memory of this and my memory of my experience watching this when i was younger I might have misjudged this movie. But again, there is some stuff in here that I feel warrants at least us looking at it. So we'll get to the ratings at the end. If you object to this, totally understand. Put the heat on me. Leave Nostradamus there out of it. <laughs> he could not have predicted uh, that I was going to pick this movie for our 50th episode. But thank you for joining us. And we're going to get to the movie in just a second. But first, we have to talk about the beer we have today. What's it going to be today, Noel? All right, we're drinking a beer called Accelerated Stall. Mavericks double IPA. God damn it, another one. There have been so many slam dunks this season um, that, yeah, this one's incredible. There's there's nothing else you can say. It literally has a fighter jet on the cover. They are clearly speaking to the Top Gun movie. Well, the accelerated stall uh, name is in, like, the Top Gun kind of, like, font formation. Like, it's that same thing with the wings and the star. Like, it's it, there's a clear connection here. They mentioned Maverick. I'm just pissed off this is another double IPA, man. So for everyone who's mad about me picking this movie, rest assured I will suffer through this beer. That can be my punishment because I'm oh. not, I just know I'm not going to like it, man. I'm so hopeful for it. I'm really hopeful. We uh, drank another double IPA uh, a couple weeks ago. Not my speed even a little bit. Wasn't my favorite double IPA either. Um, but this one is from Barnstormer. They're out of Barrie, Ontario in... A lot of their cans are aviation connected. So, well, Barnstormer itself, that name is a is a plane reference, right? Yes, exactly. So, what a really good choice for our <laughs> Top Gun episode. They have a, a pretty interesting website. They have these uh, sort of cool about themselves where they're they're really confident and cocky. They they say that they're beer loving, big dreaming wingnuts, and that they're going to save everyone from watery domestic beers so i thought that was kind of funny i like oh, so the kind of beer i like you mean yeah, is, yeah yeah exactly so they're shitting all over the cooper beer this is a fighter pilot mission against the beer that i love yes exactly so just just like uh tom cruise's mission to get back his dad's reputation in this movie we're gonna we're gonna turn you into a double ipa lover with this one i hope well we'll see might as well get into it and get this show started let's find out yeah So we open with the Paramount logo and some very inspirational music. A text insert tells us how the Navy established an elite school for the top 1% of its fighter pilots. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of aerial combat and to ensure that the handful of men who graduated were the best fighter pilots in the world. And guess what, Noel? They succeeded. <laughs> now officially, the Navy calls it Fighter Weapons School, but the pilots call it Top Gun. 
Yes, we have some saber rattling really early in this film. It seems like we're putting together here a bit of a promotional video for military service. Uh-oh, conspiracy theory? Is that what you've got here? Uh, not just a conspiracy theory. I mean, I don't think that was the intention of the film originally. It was to make money. But the film was so successful that Navy recruitment officers set up tables at the theater so that they would sign people up after this movie. And they got some big numbers, I bet. A lot. Yes, they did really, really well. Well, it was a massive hit, so fucking there's strike two against me right there. But uh, we get some footage of planes being directed on an aircraft carrier. They're preparing for takeoff, and before you know it, jet engines are firing, and the inspiration of the music is replaced by the undisputed king of 80s soundtracks, ladies and gentlemen... Kenny Loggins. (laughs) Oh, man, Kenny. Like, you can't be upset at Kenny Loggins. No, and this is one of his biggest hits ever. Highway to the Danger Zone. And get used to hearing that because I played about 150 times in the course of this movie. (laughs) That is something we get. The music that's played um, is played effectively, but it is played to an extreme. And the number of times you hear them uh, is over and over. But... For someone who finds music such a like huge part of their life, I like it when movies kind of lead or direct using the music to sort of help mood. They're cueing you almost. Yes, yeah, and I, I like that as a viewer. That's something that really connects, or I really connect to. Uh, in another life, I would have loved to have done music for movies. Um, so, I don't know, another life dream. There you go. And you know, speaking of things you like, we're kicking things off with a montage. So was your d*** just immediately hard here, or what? Like, we're... We're five seconds into this movie. It's montage time. Um, Yeah, I went from six to midnight pretty quickly at the start of this film. (laughs) It's true. I'll bet, yeah. Now, down below in this aircraft carrier, an extremely sweaty radar attack says they've got an unidentified aircraft, while Michael J. Fox's principal from Back to the Future looks on. It's Mr. Strickland. (laughs) You're right. It is. He's so good at yelling. He really is. That's exactly right. He's so good at yelling. When you need a guy to just yell at some people. It was like how you played Strickland doing. Oh, shit. We need a yeller. Let's get that ball guy. (laughs) Definitely, really great. He does. And he is sweating, too. In fact, everyone on this aircraft carrier is sweating their ass off. And Strickland asks who they've currently got in the air. It's Cougar and Merlin in one plane and Maverick and Goose in the other. Tom Cruise taking us right into the action. This cast is pretty exciting, right? It's not bad, yeah. yeah we got Tom Cruise. Uh, we got Anthony Edwards. Um, I'm pretty Val sure. Val Kilmer. Are you going to mention Val Kilmer? I, or are you just going to bury him underneath Anthony Edwards? I love Val Kilmer. Really? I love Val Kilmer. Um, I was a huge fan of Willow growing up, and he plays <laughs> a key role in that film. Yeah. Um, and so I love him in those. I loved him in McGruber. McGruber, exactly. Yeah. That's where I was going with that. I thought he was incredible yeah. in that. But no, I'm a big Val Kilmer fan. Um, but Anthony Edwards, I was a big ER fan. My wife was a much bigger ER fan. Also an outbreak. He's an outbreak, isn't yep. he? Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, I mean, he's an important part of this, obviously. Now, they think that what they have up there is a single plane. But as soon as Tom Cruise goes to engage, he quickly identifies a second one. They split up, and it takes Maverick about 10 seconds to get missile lock on his target. That causes bogey number one to bail out, but bogey number two is significantly more successful as it gets missile lock on Cougar and Merlin. Maverick is there for the save and scares the bogey off with a real hotshot move. He flies upside down and flips the pilot off while Goose takes a Polaroid. Just cocky. <laughs> so cocky. Yes. Uh, so Tom Cruise's character definitely exuding confidence. Um He pulls a move that later in the movie we hear is not possible. So you can tell he's willing to push the limits for sure. Very quickly, we're into this almost like international incident, right? We've got Soviet planes. They don't say they're the Soviets, but... Well, they're MiGs. Whoever made MiGs are yeah. MiGs Soviet. Well, and yeah. they have like the... They, they indicate that it, it is the Soviets. Um, and this is during the Cold War, if I'm not wrong. The 80s right? still going on, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're still in the Cold War. So this sort of what they're they're sharing. This is... Very sort of propaganda e, but you would think Here this... you come again. What, this is your thing. <laughs> but you would think this, um, they would have been much more careful about the way they acted in this incident, right? Because, like, they very clearly could have shot each other down. Well, Maverick doesn't do careful, my man. No, that's true. And that's why, yeah, Iceman does not enjoy him. No, we'll that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this uh, inversion with the photograph causes bogey number two to bail out as well. So mission accomplished, except... Cougar is all fucked up in the head. He is frozen with terror and can't bring his plane down, even though Merlin, Maverick, and, well, pretty much everybody else is telling him he's low on fuel. Maverick can tell something's wrong, so he aborts his landing to go up and bring Cougar home. 
Yeah. Uh, were the people on his boat and his commanding officer happy about this move to go back up and try to save uh, Cougar? Oh, fuck no. This was clearly against protocol because the second he lands, he gets reamed out by Mr. Strickland. Now, despite this, Tom Cruise is going to the show. They're sending him to Top Gun. But lest he get a big head, Strickland tells him that Cougar was the first choice, but he melted down and turned in his wings. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Maverick, clearly the better pilot, um, as we see here. But I mean, hold on. We don't really, Cougar doesn't get much of a chance to prove himself to us. They do one thing and he's out. But like, he, I who guess knows so. he did before that. Yeah, he burns out pretty quickly here. He, he, it's clear that he follows the rules better than uh, Maverick does. They shit on Goose, too. Like, they basically say he shouldn't be there. He doesn't deserve to be there. I don't know. I'm having trouble. Is he a part of a, like, military family? Is he given this role for some reason? Okay, so I actually have a question about this, too. Because for the life of me, I watch this whole movie. I cannot figure out what the guy in the fucking back of the plane even does. Besides, look out the window and, like, shout words of encouragement. All they're ever doing in this is like, I don't see him. Or he's over there. Or, (laughs) come on, you can do it. I'm like, what the fuck? Does he have a job back there? That's a good question. I know that certain planes don't need that person. Like maybe it's just something about the planes that they're using require that as that second set of eyes. There's got to be some kind of equipment they're managing back there. But you're right. Why do they have like an assistant pilot that does nothing? They also can't do anything because Merlin cannot bring down the flight once fucking Cougar loses his shit. So he's just sitting there being like, come on, somebody, let's go. Like It it would make sense for those planes to have a second set of steering or an emergency backup or something. Like in a driver training fucking car where the other guy has a wheel and brakes if he needs them. Exactly. That would make a lot of sense. I don't know. You're right. It is a strange role that Goose and all of the other backup people play. I don't know. I think he's kind of getting lumped in, though, and to answer your earlier question. Uh, regardless of how he ends up there, Tom Cruise couldn't give less of a shit. He's so excited to be going to Top Gun. The next time we see him, he's in a briefing at Top Gun getting just eye f***ed by young Val Kilmer. <laughs> Admit it. There's something going uh, on with these two. Come on. This is a widely renowned theory. The way the movie plays it off is that Val Kilmer is looking for anyone who might be a threat to him being the best. Right. And yeah. and so he's looking around the room to sizing each other are. up. Yeah, that's exactly. There's so much testosterone that's floating around in this room. It's uh, it's excessive for sure. Um, but as the movie goes on, there's a lot to the theory that maybe Val Kilmer does have feelings for uh, for Maverick for and Tom vice Christmas. versa, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. Never know. Yeah. All of this happens while their Top Gun instructor, Viper, who was one of the best pilots ever, we're told is giving them the history of the Top Gun program. Do you think you're going to be up there on that best operator plaque, he asks? Yes, sir, says Maverick. Maverick is arrogant, but the instructor likes that in a pilot. He's impressed, but you know who isn't? Val Kilmer. He tells him, The uh, plaque for the alternates is down in the ladies' room. Zing! Oh my <laughs> I like that, man. Come on. <laughs> we do get a lot of gendered comments coming through here, um, for sure. Uh, whenever they're making fun of each other, they're basically telling them they belong with the women. Yeah. Yeah, which, uh, I don't know, it doesn't hold up so well today. But uh, it was a part of the, the script in here for sure. Oh, yeah. Now, it turns out that currently Val Kilmer is the best of the young pilots. Iceman is his call sign because that's how he flies. Ice cold. He's also ice cold when he talks to Tom Cruise about Cougar. He says he was a good man, past tense. Cruise says he's still a good man. And Val Kilmer's like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. They are just fucking rulers out here. Classic dick measuring contest. Yeah, it's funny. They they go from their dick measuring contest, though, quickly to a bar. And we get a kind of funny back and forth between Anthony Edwards and Tom Cruise here. Um, they see a lot of women, and someone calls it a target-rich environment. Yeah, of course. Military <laughs> term for uh, lady hunting. I like that. And then they throw out a bet to see if one of them can get put. Yeah, uh, they eventually break off to try and complete this bet, and Tom Cruise spots the vaguely unattractive Kelly McGillis across the bar. (laughs) Why did you describe her as vaguely unattractive? So here's the thing. So she's kind of unattractive, or she isn't? Well, I'm not going to sit here and say Kelly McGillis is an unattractive woman, but I feel like she's like she doesn't fit this kind of like bombshell role she's supposed to be playing here, the sexy scientist, whatever. I feel like they could have, perhaps even should have gotten a more attractive actress. So you feel like the casting was weak? I do. Despite okay. looking about 20 years her junior, Tom Cruise decides to run some game on her and dust off an old routine of his. He somehow gets a house mic and sings her a real choppy acapella version of You've Lost That Loving Feeling with some backup from Goose and the other pilots. I don't know about this, man. This is uh, <laughs> this scene. I like is an iconic scene, though, right? This oh, is one is. that everyone kind of knows from the bar. I had thought his singing was better 
until I watch this again. Right. It comes off really bad. Both he and Anthony Edwards fucking struggle pretty bad at this. It's not until the rest of the bar gets in on it that it has any momentum. But that's the thing, man. You get a bunch of people singing all at once. Anything sounds good because the voices kind of drown each other out. Which like one guy up there is not good. But it sounded great when they all got in. But what it made me think was... Is this a common, like, marine tactic? Is this something or a move that's well-known amongst the community of men? Because why else would you jump into that song so wholeheartedly immediately? It was a very popular song. It's easy lyrics to sing along to and remember. The tune's easy to carry. But I get what you're saying. Is it the, He does say he's done it before. He's tried this before in a woman. He says he's only ever done it twice. The first time, complete disaster. The second time is this time right now. And he thinks he's doing pretty good. But uh, because she has two working ears, she was not impressed by this performance <laughs> and also isn't impressed when he follows her into the ladies' room to make another pass at her. Yeah, this is bold. Yeah, um, a little dicey. Thankfully, she wasn't taking a shit, but she was just <laughs> her <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, I was not ready for that. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> so she's just reapplying some makeup and, <laughs> and not taking a massive crunch. <laughs> That is lucky. Uh, <laughs> she's not into it. She's not into this. So he crashed and burned, pardon the pun. But luckily, he'll probably never see her again. Actually, he finds out literally the next day that she is like a top-ranked physicist and instructor who's been sent to Top Gun by the Pentagon to help train them on the physics of enemy fighters. Yeah, she's going to be one of his instructors and going to be looking at his flying and critiquing it. As they go through. So this is pretty funny. Yeah, he'll be working under her, but not in the way he was hoping to be. No, not yeah. at all. Now, this gets even more awkward when he calls her out for her intel on the MiG plane being incorrect. Really, this was just a backdoor brag so we can tell the other pilots about his sweet inversion move. They call bullshit, but of course, we know it's true. And right away, she starts warming up to him, which to me, again, is like, why? Is it just handsomeness? I mean, he is handsome. Right? Like, yeah. there's no one who's going to debate whether Tom Cruise is a handsome man or not. He he definitely is handsome. He's got that sort of spark or charisma to him for sure. And he does kind of light up the screen. Um, so I, you would have to say it's the handsomeness, but she also kind of likes his like bad boy style. Either way, he's feeling strong and his ego gets even bigger the next day when they run training exercises against some smaller, more maneuverable planes. Him and Goose get one on their tail and can't shake him, at least not until he pulls the flaps, causing the other plane to fly right by them. So now he's the one chasing and actually gets missile lock, therefore killing the other pilot. It's a big win, and he decides to celebrate by buzzing the tower, which can't be seen as anything but a dick move. Come on. <laughs> so I want to go back to this move he makes. This is the accelerated stall, right? Really? Yeah, so that move where he, like, slows himself down and then flips into it. He's just going to hit the brakes. Planes don't really have brakes, right? Yeah. Like it's like a yeah, he's sort of turning off the engine power, right, to slow himself down. I'm pretty sure that's what the accelerated stall might be. And okay. That's what, that's what this beer's named after, so... Um, he gets this person. It's actually one of the instructors. Yeah, uh, not the main one, not Viper, but no, uh, not like Viper. The Jester. I think his yeah. name is Jester, and he he catches him, and he's feeling really proud. But when they get back to sort of talk about it, does he get uh, that sort of props he thinks he deserves? No. Although he is flying high personally, like emotionally, he thinks he crushed this. Iceman claims the wind doesn't count because they were below the hard deck, so basically they were like out of bounds when it happened. Cruz asks him, "What's your problem, Kazansky? You're everyone's problem." That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Cruz tells him he's right, but he clearly does not give a shit. No, Cruz likes to fly near the edge. Uh, we don't know a lot about his background or why he acts this way, but it definitely seems like he doesn't care about the risk that he's putting out there for himself or others. Um, he might give more of a shit about this after his boss reams him out for breaking the rules. The rules of engagement are there for his safety and for that of his team foreshadowing <laughs> just a little bit huh oh um, yeah as someone who's seen this multiple times that we know what's going to come up here it's interesting the flyby move that you mentioned earlier and i kind of cruised over i'm sorry he does a few times in this movie and it's just to be a dick right and yeah. just to sort of show off and this is what we're getting with his character he he's confident he's handsome he likes to push the edge and 
what I'm having trouble figuring out is he keeps getting rewarded for those behaviors. The, the instructors like it, like whatever. I mean, the thing is he is talented, right? This is the thing where you're willing to put up with a lot of that stuff because he's talented. And it's not like they didn't know he was this way. The next scene we see his bosses are like not surprised. They're talking about how being a wild card is right there in his file. And uh, in a short scene right after that where he and Goose talk it out, we learn that he's carrying the bad reputation of his family name. But like you said, none of this has made him any less bold as he takes another aggressive swing at Kelly McGillis the next day. And it actually pays off. People just keep rewarding this. It's so weird, right? And like what I'm trying to figure out is why the choice for this? Like why did they decide to reward this behavior in the movie? And it definitely makes, I guess, for a more interesting movie. But it also... If it is propaganda, oh makes God, for dude. a more interesting kind of recruitment, right? Sure. There you go. Join the Navy. You can get a bunch of 40-year-old middling attractive <laughs> um, <laughs> spe- <laughs> spe- <laughs> Speaking of which, as I mentioned, he takes another pass at Kelly McGillis. It pays off. She gives him her address and an invitation to dinner, but... Lest this movie become too hetero, from here we cut to the legendary beach volleyball scene, playing with the boys. Come on, <laughs> I mean, man. If uh, you haven't seen this scene, my God. I am speechless about this scene. It actually was worse than I remembered. I remembered them all being in, like, jeans. I, uh, I remember them being in cut-off jean shorts. Yeah. I was wrong. It was less uh, revealing than I remember. Yeah, the only person in jeans in this is Tom Cruise. Who uh, plays volleyball in jeans, let alone beach volleyball? Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It's at this point where I'm like, why is Tom Cruise playing this badass role? Like, he does not seem like a badass to me, right? No. Like, as a person or a character. Handsome man. Definitely. Um, but not badass. He's too small. He's like, I don't know. He doesn't look tough in any way. No, I mean, he's in great shape. As you mentioned, everyone's shirtless. Well, except uh, Goose. I guess Anthony Edwards is a bit self-conscious. I'm guessing that he had some erotic tattoos that they weren't willing to show <laughs> on film. Maybe he just didn't want to get sunburned. I don't know. Well, that's possible, too. But yeah, I don't know the answer to your question about Tom Cruise being a badass. It's it's strange. Yeah, I don't know. And I also noticed here, and thinking back to Cocktail, he often has the goofy sidekick. Yeah, that's right. Does it make his performances better when he's got that person to play off? Or is he just really good at doing that kind of, like, I'm one side of the partnership role? I mean, I think you need someone to play off of a little bit to kind of ground you. Because if he's just going around being cocky to everyone, he'll just seem like an asshole, right? You got to give him a friend that he seems, like, relatable. And he does, uh, like, because Goose is such a friendly to everyone character and because he does care about Goose, it does keep his character from being just an asshole. Yeah, there you go. Now... Because this volleyball game goes slightly long, he's late for dinner. He doesn't even shower or anything. He just throws on his shirt and bomber jacket on his sweaty, sandy torso and rides off on his motorcycle to the tune of Take My Breath Away. This soundtrack is good, man, although they repeat this song like 17 times too. It is really good. It's kind of nostalgic. Like I said at the start of this, the music leads the mood, right? And it does a good job of that. Him riding up there, getting there. This is kind of a weird dinner, Right, It's kind yeah. of a weird scenario where he's heading to her house. She says she doesn't like to date people who are like her students, but yet she's going to make him dinner. He gets there after playing this volleyball game, and what's the first thing he asks her? Yeah, I was confused about him not showering, but as soon as he gets there, he asks to use her shower, and that's when I realized this is all just a ploy for him to be able to hang dong in front of her. And, you know, I know that now it's 2021, and we look back on this, things that were okay back then don't seem okay right now. But all the same, I'd like to say to Tom Cruise, quit stealing my moves. <laughs> Is that what you do? You yeah, feel man. like you're like, go play a sport with a girl. And Mind then if ask, I take a shower? And then you take just, a shower and drop out pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's not cool. Has it ever worked? Producers of Top Gun? No? Huh? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I think going back to the whole dinner thing, she does, we know that she wants to know about his experience with the MIG, right? It's not just a romantic thing yet. She is at least operating under the guise of wanting more information about the plane. But yeah, it is weird. Uh, his shower plan does not work. He's late and she's hungry, so I guess they have a stinky dinner. And in addition to food and wine, apparently we've got some backstory on the menu as he tells her about his father's massive flameout and his mother's death. Yeah. We start, for the first time, getting some understanding of wait, maybe why this uh, Cruise character is so dangerous. Yeah. Um, because his father was a sort of a famous pilot, but 
he goes missing or he takes a plane and never returns. He blew and, some mission apparently and they blamed it on him. Yeah. And then very shortly after this happens, his mother passes away too. So he's kind of raised without any of them and yet still chooses to go and follow the path of his father. Yep, definitely. Now this display of vulnerability is enough to kind of turn the heat up. But just then he decides to dip. When she asks where he's going, he says to take a shower. Thank you. Smooth as silk. Always leave him wanting more. Yeah, this was a funny ending, right? Because he was just starting to pull her in by like sharing some personal stories and becoming a little bit intimate. But um, he did. He leaves at the perfect time if he's hoping for her to want to come back for more. Yeah. Now, the next day they bump into each other in the elevator. He's just coming from the weight room so sweaty again. And she admits to him that she didn't just invite him over to talk about that MIG. Going up? I mean, his c- <laughs> I wondered if there was going to be a bit of a kiss scene here. It's funny because she dresses really different in this scene. Yeah, she has the hat on and the jacket. She dresses much more like a man. Yeah, hair's up under the hat. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and this lends some credence to some of those stories or theories that are suggesting that maybe the character is struggling with sexuality. She makes herself look more dudish and now he's into it? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Next, we get a brief moment of family time as Goose's wife and kid are here for a visit, which, is that even allowed? Are they allowed just to come to the military base and fucking be there? Yeah, I think so. I think there's probably time during most sort of stints where your family can show up. A lot of them, you're allowed to live there. Why you would come to the Top Gun, like, training mission, I don't know. That seems like bad time. Maybe wait till they graduate in, like, six weeks or whatever. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. So they show up. They haven't seen each other while. I'm sure um, Anthony Edwards was happy uh, to see his wife and child. Played by young. Young Meg Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that as soon as she came out. I had forgotten that it was her. Could have put her in the Kelly McGillis role. Would you have been happier? Just saying. I would have been. I would have been much happier, yeah. Regardless of whether or not they should or shouldn't be there, this is all just set up for the inevitable goose tragedy, so just, just laying the groundwork for that. Uh, that, however, is not the first death of this movie. That honor goes to Tom Cruise's ego, which gets assassinated by Kelly McGillis when she breaks down his flight performance. And when I say breaks down, I mean she tears it down right in front of a very amused Val Kilmer and all the other pilots. It's got a sting. Yeah, he thinks he was making some sort of inroads with her, but when she tears down that dangerous move he made, he gets upset and runs off like a petulant child. Oh yeah, he's all butthurt about it. But she chases after him in her car, almost causing a massive accident. You see she plowed that intersection like six cars almost smashed into each other? Yeah, she has this kind of sporty old-timey convertible and she nearly killed several people with it. Yeah, and when she catches up to him, she tells him that he shouldn't be acting this way because her assessment of his flight performance was right on. It was fair, it was on the money, but she still... Uh, thinks he's like an attractive guy and whatever. And they make sweet, tender love. (laughs) You're selling this short. She ended that line. um, She said she couldn't say that she was impressed by his move in there because she was worried that the other pilots would see that she was falling for him, right? And that's the point where they get their first kiss and then very quickly we transition inside to a bedroom. Oh yeah, we get their first kiss, then we get their first bang as they make sweet, tender love take my breath away we get so many zooms on faces when that song's on but then we also get a huge zoom of her licking his face off Her, her tongue is all the way out there man yeah the next day we get another training exercise and we learn that the race for the top gun trophy is an extremely close race between Iceman, currently in the lead and maverick trailing by only two points i'm very curious about the scoring system for this it's like figure skating. There's sort of different judges from different countries, and they get Not to different assign- countries. There's no fun way. <laughs> they get to assign random points based on how they feel the flights went of previous days. Um, no, I think what it is is like depending on how successful you are in each of your. They're, they're numbered. It's like hot 19, hot 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the flights. Depending on how successful you are in those trials, you get points based on how long you flew without getting captured or capturing someone else, all of those things. I just love how they're sure to explain who's currently leading, what the points are, like, over the fucking uh, walkie-talkie system just so we can know the audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure all of the characters knew this already. Like, they didn't need to be informed. No, that's just for us, yeah. yeah. Uh, Either way, Maverick is looking to take the lead, and so he's making even more aggressive moves than normal, like abandoning the plane he's supposed to be covering to chase after his instructor, which, of course, is Viper, Turns out the old dog still has some tricks, though, as he leads Maverick on a hell of a chase while acknowledging that, damn, this kid's good. Not good enough to notice the second plane sneaking up behind them, though, and bang, they're dead. Yep, so 
of course, he uh, goes off the wing of the person he's supposed to protect. This isn't the first time. This happened in the very first scene we yep, saw, right? he's going for glory. He does not learn a lot of lessons in this movie. <laughs> That's true. Right? We, do, yeah. we don't see him improving from the mistakes he's making. I think this is the one mistake that after he's done it a couple times, we might see a difference when we get down there to a further event. Yeah, well, as if this failure isn't bad enough, Val Kilmer is there to rub salt in the wounds by telling him, It's not your flying. It's your attitude. The enemy's dangerous. But right now, you're worse than the enemy. You may not like the guys flying with you. They may not like you. Well, whose side are you on? Which seems a little excessive. Like, hang on a second. I mean, the risks he's taking and the personal choices he's doing, he's not showing that he's a part of the team. Right? Worse than the enemy? He's not out there trying to shoot down the planes on his own fucking team. Come on. Yeah, I mean, if you're endangering your team from being successful, and you might be more dangerous than an opposing person that you can predict. Look at you, Team Iceman all the way, eh? Oh, Valcomer's the best. Oh, my gosh. At this point, I assume that the mistake was enough for Iceman to have sewn the whole contest up, but it turns out that he actually got eliminated before Maverick and Goose, so they still got a shot. Speaking of Maverick and Goose, they go on a little double date with Kelly McGillis and Meg Ryan, which includes more singing. Meg Ryan can tell Maverick is really into Kelly McGillis and tells her this. The feeling is clearly mutual as they make it on his motorcycle, and this is where we just get an egregious amount of fucking tongue and face licking and wide open mouth just like eating each other's heads. I don't know, man. <laughs> this scene in the restaurant's kind of funny. Anthony Edwards is just sitting at a piano. Like he's not eating dinner with anyone else or he's not hanging out with them. His kid is sitting on top of the piano. He's sitting at it and he's playing Great Balls of Fire. Tom Cruise later goes over to join them before you're right. Just consuming the face of his pilot instructor. The two of them have the most open mouth kiss I think I've ever seen yeah. on screen. And her tongue is just like flopping around, just like cleaning up his face. I'm there. wondering what this scene is for. I mean, it's pushing along the love story a bit, but it's also, I think, trying for, to build more sympathy for Goose. Because we know what's coming pretty quickly here. Oh, yeah. We get that the next day. More training. The competition's heating up, which they are sure to once again tell us via voiceover. And you know what that means. Tom Cruise is desperate to bring this thing home. We can tell because he's getting incredibly impatient when Iceman can't line up a shot. Maverick is right on his ass, which is the problem when Iceman peels off. Maverick gets caught in his jet wash, and his plane is going down. And sadly, although they finally manage to eject after much difficulty, this is where Goose meets his tragic end. Yeah, this one's interesting because in this trial, Maverick and Iceman are forced to be working together. And if Ice hadn't have tried to maintain that shot or he had have gotten out earlier, uh, you wouldn't have had that wash that takes out Maverick. And well, yeah, but if Tom Cruise had also hung back like fucking oh, yeah, 20 no, feet no, more, it wouldn't happen For either. sure. There are, there are different reasons. It's interesting. Uh, we're going to get to the trial later. What I didn't understand was they're having trouble hitting the ejector, right? Maverick can't reach it when they're in this spin. And it is uh, Goose or Anthony Edwards who finally grabs it and pulls it. But when he launches it or he pulls it, the top of their plane, the glass shield. It's called a canopy. Their canopy, exactly, that is keeping them safe while they're in it doesn't move off fast enough before their seats explode out. And that's what end up killing Goose, right? He, well, he smashes his like head and neck, neck area into the fucking canopy. When he gets sort of rocketed out with the ejection. So it's something that you think there would leave enough time when that pops out. But I guess maybe that was the malfunction they were speaking of. Could have been, I guess. Um, we don't know for sure that Goose is dead until Viper tells Tom Cruise the next day. Unfortunately, at the time, he's only wearing tidy whities which is just like, I lost a little respect for him right there, honestly. It was strange, this whole, like, we have a very dramatic ocean scene where he's holding Goose, and then it cuts to him hanging out in tidy whities in the washroom, and then Viper comes in and he's like, you doing okay? Goose is dead. He just comes right to it. And then he's like, I know. And he's not, like, really emotional. The movie's definitely trying to show that men are not supposed to have feelings in, in that way. Yeah. Um, because Viper then backs it up being like... Uh, this happens, gotta let him yeah, go. you gotta yeah. let him go. There's gonna be a lot more like this, man. This is how it works. I mean, I guess in the fighter pilot game, there is a higher mortality rate than if you're, say, like a chartered accountant. So, you know, obviously it's, it is kind of part of the job. But yeah, there's not really given much time to grieve here. Uh, it's not going to be easy for Tom Cruise to get over him, clearly, as we get a very emotional scene of him boxing up Goose's stuff and bringing it to the grieving widow. Meg Ryan is pulling off the tears in this scene. Tom Cruise, not so much. No, not he, so he's much. Not, he's not doing this one. Oh, what a weird, what a tough scene. You Like... He does an okay job when he's collecting all the stuff and you can see him kind of battling yeah. it a little bit. But yeah, he doesn't pull off the the, the tears or the sadness in the same way. Meg Ryan does a good job with it, though. She's a pro. 
Put her in the Kelly McGillis role. <laughs> uh, uh, so we've had this death, and now whether he's allowed to fly or not, whether it's his fault, is probably at question, right? They've got to decide whether he should continue to be a part of Top Gun. There is a Navy board inquiry into just that thought, and it clears him of any responsibility in Goose's death, that he couldn't have controlled the plane or known that he was going to get caught in the jet wash. Uh, so his career is going to continue, but the next time he's up in the air, we can see that like Cougar before him, he is a sweaty, unconfident mess. Now, he's not quite as far gone, but it's clear that he isn't back to normal. In fact, his instructors argue over whether or not he'll be able to make it back at all. He's kind of broken at this point. We get some music instructing us that maybe it's over, but also maybe he's going to turn into a weapon. Like they have got this person who they're forcing back in the air already and either he's going to wash out completely or he's going to become the most deadly fighter pilot that the Navy's ever seen. <laughs> yeah, they try to get him up there right away. It's that kind of like if you get off the horse right back on thing so you don't think about it too much, but he's clearly thinking about it. And in the next scene, he is turning in his wings, man. He's ready to go home. You know things are bad when Iceman comes up to tell him how sorry he is. Like when your sworn enemy is apologizing to you, that's when you know you've hit rock bottom. I'm glad that they did this scene the way they did. I was really worried that Iceman was going to tell him it was his fault. I mean, they almost leave it open. Like, they leave a pause where you think that's going to come, and then he just apologizes again. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if this was him expressing his love for Tom and saying he would be there for him. If they were ever going to kiss, that was the moment. Well, I guess yeah. that's maybe the second best chance for that to happen. It yeah. almost happens at the end, but yeah. It's a bit too, like, heartfelt here, I think, for mm. it to become a, like, make-out moment. But Okay. Uh, at this point, there's only one thing that can bring him back. And surprisingly, it's not Kelly McGillis who tries her best to no avail. Instead, it's Viper who gets through to him by playing his ace in the hole. First-hand knowledge that Maverick's dad was not actually responsible for the catastrophic mission failure that earned him the bad reputation. That was just a cover story the Navy had to use because the particular mission happened somewhere they weren't supposed to be. And this knowledge gives Maverick the courage to resume his flight career and graduate from the Top Gun program. Yeah, apparently graduation's the next day. Yeah, he almost quit at like the worst possible minute. So he he decides, okay, fuck it, I am going to go to graduation. I can do this for 17 more hours. And get yeah. My, yeah. And so he, he heads back there the next day. I mean, it does help him that he knows a little bit of backstory about his dad. And he knew that Viper knew his dad and like thought he was a good pilot. Definitely. Now, he's not going to win that Top Gun trophy. That goes to Iceman. But he might just get the last laugh as they're immediately called into action to deal with a crisis situation. That's convenient. Uh, they're they're not even out of their graduation ceremony before uh, they're called into action to go stop a an incident that's happened. Apparently, one of their ships has become unoperable and has floated into enemy waters, and so they need to go back up that ship and protect it. They do, and guess where they're launching from? The very aircraft carrier we started on the beginning of this movie, so we get to spend a little more time with Mr. Strickland as everyone sits there sweating during the mission briefing. They seriously need to turn down the heat on this fucking aircraft carrier. I think it's pretty hot inside the bellows of one of those ships. I don't think there's air conditioning, but uh, you're right. It, it is a sweaty mess in there. They're all drenched, man. So they send an Iceman first with another plane to help escort them out of there. What they didn't realize is that there's way more enemy planes than they were expecting, and the non-Iceman plane gets immediately shot down. They send Maverick Airborne to bail out Iceman, but once again, he gets caught in a plane's jet wash, and although he manages to steady it this time, he seems like he's once again cracking mentally. Luckily in this, his darkest moment, he summons the awesome power of Goose by rubbing his dog tags and saying, Goose has his back, um, or the ghost of Goose has his back. I mean, I didn't hear him respond, but apparently uh, whatever this was did the trick. Yeah, exactly. It looks like he's about to wash out, and Iceman had even questioned whether it was a good idea to have him as his backup, but in the end, he decides, or with Goose's help, or whatever happens, he decides he's going to get into this fight and help support Ice, because Iceman now has, what, six planes on him right now? There's a lot, and uh, Maverick goes out there, he's re-engaged now, he starts shooting him down. In fact, he gets a turkey, shoots down three in a row, which causes the others to peel off, and Maverick leads Iceman back to the aircraft carrier after first buzzing the tower again. What is his fucking problem? <laughs> he asks for permission again. I love how he asks for permission every time, gets denied and then goes and does it anyway. This, again, is playing up that, like, look at how badass I am. I don't follow rules, but they all still love me. Well, it tells us he's all the way back, right? He's yeah. he's all the way back he's to being that guy. So they do this. Um, they sort of, he, he saves Iceman. They scare away the Soviet planes, and they head back down to the aircraft carrier. 
Iceman did nothing this whole time, by the way. Iceman takes out down there. one. Does he? I don't yep. know, I so they, they kill four planes, and three of them are taken down by Tom Cruise. He does get in a very, like, precarious position and yeah. needs saving pretty badly. So that's true. Well, they make it back to the aircraft carrier, and there's much celebrating. And apparently Tim Robbins was Merlin the whole time. I had no fucking idea. I didn't know until you told me. Yeah, he was wearing a mask the whole time. But at the end, there is Tim Robbins, fucking giant, tall Tim Robbins standing there in the <laughs> middle of this. So this has to be before some of his successful movies, I assume. Oh, well, like, like, well, it's, like before. It's, it's way like before Shawshank. Movies. Oh, yeah, right? like easily. Um, but the, what's his baseball movie where he... Bull Durham. Yeah, I guess it's before Bull Durham as I would, well. Yeah. yeah. Now, this is the moment where you could have got a little closure on that whole uh, Iceman Maverick romance thing because... Iceman walks up to bury the hatchet, telling Maverick, You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. Maverick is back, and he celebrates for some reason by throwing Goose's dog tags into the ocean. That was a really confusing scene. Like, the end where they all celebrate, like, they're met on top of the deck by all of the people in the crew, and they get all kinds of hugs, and that all makes sense. But the scene after that where Tom Cruise chucks... Goose's dog tags into the ocean is baffling. Now, I understand what I think they're trying to say is he's moved on. He's done what Viper told him to in that bathroom, right? But first of all, why the fuck would Tom Cruise have those dog tags? Instead of Meg Ryan? Yes. Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense to me. And two, if he did, there's no fucking way that you would throw them in the ocean. Yeah, like if Meg Ryan, because Meg Ryan says to him, he always loved flying with you. Like if she gave those to Tom Cruise, being like, he always loved flying with you here, keep him with you always. And then Tom Cruise throws it away. That's such a fucking asshole move. I mean, is that what they're trying to tell us? This guy is the ultimate, like, fucker? No, I think it's what you said. I think it's like he's. this is him leaving Goose behind, like moving on from it. So, you know, you don't keep any yeah. things to remind you because it might bring so, all the bad stuff So back. he's moved on from that. And then what's the sort of result of this successful mission? What happens? Well, after this heroic act, the Navy is giving him his choice of any assignment, whatever he wants. He chooses to return to Top Gun as an instructor, but we're not done yet. The movie ends with him sitting at a bar and a mysterious hand putting a song on the jukebox. It's You've Lost That Love and Feeling, so clearly that mysterious hand belonged to Kelly McGillis. And sure enough, they flirt us into the credits. There's a lot that's annoying about the end of this movie. Okay, go. Well, first of all, the fact that he had one, like, kind of successful final mission gives him the choice of Carte any, blanche, any, any wants, fucking yeah. job he wants. <laughs> I agree. It's a little, I don't think that's how the Navy operates. I don't think so. That's insane. He saved one guy, right? And now he gets whatever he, he wants. He graduated the school, like, six hours earlier. Yeah, there is no possible way. And, of course, he chooses to go back and be an instructor at Top Gun, which seems insane to me, too, right? You've got the most confident, most ridiculous pilot in all of the navy and they are like yeah i'm done flying let's go teach others how to fly i could see after maybe a decade of service he might make that choice but there's no way he would make it there yeah and then this scene in the bar where he's sitting there and you've lost that loving feeling comes on he walks past the jukebox and like searches the room and sees nobody and then kelly mcgillis pops out from where he already walked by. <laughs> Is she a fucking yeah. magician? Can she camouflage herself? <laughs> because he would have seen her before he even got to the jukebox. This like lack of continuity editing at the end here just pissed me off so hard. It reminded me of when Lawrence Fishburne walked by the captain's chair in Event Horizon and then Sam Neill turns around in the fucking captain's and chair. And he should like, have seen him the whole time. Sam yeah, 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 exactly. It, it, it fits exactly oh, with man. that. So I... I was a little let down by that ending, uh, for sure, but... Yeah, but overall, despite the ending, which I agree is a little bit choppy, I gotta say, man, I like enjoyed this a lot more than I remembered enjoying it the first couple of times I saw it. Like, I haven't seen this movie in easily 10 to 15 years, and it's better than I remembered. So, yeah, I'm gonna eat it on this. I can already feel it. <laughs> oh, man. As this movie started, like, very early in my notes... I said, what are we doing here? Uh, this is a bad movie. And I, I wasn't sure. Like, while watching it, I was having trouble deciding how much of it was nostalgia. But it held up better than I thought it would. I've thrown some critical things about this movie as we've been talking about it. But I still enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be totally honest. Like, I... As I'm watching it, I was just kind of like, like about about 30 minutes in, I was just like, oh fuck, <laughs> trouble. <laughs> like, uh oh. 
So, so I, like, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot more. Like, I, whatever I remembered being, I don't know where I was in, like mentally back when I watched it and like didn't like it, but it's pretty fucking good. So without further ado, we might as well go to the fucking ratings because this is going to be your chance to just fucking shit all over this, shit all over me. We always do this on a scale of one to 10. We do it twice. One to 10 for how bad it is. One to 10 for how enjoyable it is. And the goal, which will definitely not happen today, is to find a movie that is 10 out of 10 bad on both scales, or as we call it, the Crit 20. 20, 20, 20, 20. And I'm going to go first, as I often do. How bad this movie is, this is not a bad movie. This movie probably should not be on our podcast. Although, I maintain the volleyball scene is bad enough to be on our podcast. That scene is so ridiculous um the ending's not great we talked about the ending kind of absurd some stuff has aged just fine but some has not the uh the singing in the bar cringy him following her into the ladies room can't do that i'm not going to uh call this a bad movie because it's not but for the things that i've mentioned i'm giving this a five i'm neutral on this <laughs> five wow so you even threw it Pure neutral. I'm neutral on it. You didn't say it was a good movie. You didn't say it was a bad movie. It I, is a I'm not saying it is a movie. good movie. Yes. You're saying but, it's right in the middle. Yes. Okay. Interesting. When you told me we were going to watch it, I was like, the fuck? <laughs> That's fair. Right? And then yeah. when I started watching it, I was still confused. And <laughs> the more I watched it, though, there were things I could pick at. But you can be critical about anything. Yeah. Right? It's the way that it can feel. Yeah. I also had some issues with the ending. Um, <laughs> I thought that was bad. I thought it was a bit of a flag wave that was kind of frustrating for yeah. me. And, and not being American and not having the same kind of sentiments uh, make it a little different. But as someone who loved planes growing up and loved that kind of thing, I, I did find that part exhilarating and interesting too. So as a movie, I, I had it as a three bad. Okay. This was a three bad for me. But how enjoyable. You just gave a whole bunch of reasons why you did or didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I know. I've thrown a lot out there. Um, I am a huge fan of the music. I'm a huge fan of the way that they make make me feel in the mood. Uh, like as they, they use music and the interactions between characters. They play it too much though. That's my degree with this. They go back to the well on Danger Zone too many <sighs> too times. Too often. Um, I thought that... Tom Cruise, despite me not feeling like he's a, a like bad boy action star, uh, did a good job in this movie. I did not hate Kelly McGillis to the same way that you shit all over her in this I, film. That's, that's strong. Uh, I didn't shit you, all over her. You called her, what, middling. I think you even said... Vaguely unattractive. Vaguely unattractive, yeah. Only vaguely. Oh uh, No, I didn't think she was bad in it. I love Val Kilmer. Anthony Edwards is great. If I had have known Tim Robinson's this, that would have been like a plus one for me too. <laughs> He's only at the very Love end. Love that guy. That yeah. guy's great. Um, I gave this an eight for enjoyable. See, here we go. This is all going to be fine. It's all going to work out because I actually have it as a nine for enjoyable. Okay. I was on the fence. I had yeah. both kind of written down in my notes too. So I was in between the two. Um, but after talking about it, there's a couple of things that detracted that threw me down to that eight. It's a very enjoyable movie. Um, which to some people would make it a good movie. So if you are out there being like, this movie's great, fuck that guy, that's fine. You know what? I get it. <laughs> I get it. No, seriously. Like, yeah. if you enjoy the movie a lot, I enjoyed the movie a lot. Uh, there are some problems with it I outlined, but overall, uh, it's an enjoyable time. Probably not a 10 for me because, again, like, I'm not a huge cruise guy, and some of the stuff he does in this, I can't really get down with. So for me, that probably takes a point away. Plus, the beach volleyball scene is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And I'm not a Kelly McGillis guy. So for all that, I'll drop it down to a nine. But it's very enjoyable. Better than I remembered. Here we go. I was wrong, everybody. I was wrong to call this a bad movie. Does the director of this movie, Tony Scott, does he get to kick you in the balls? If Tony Scott is still alive, and I'm not sure he is. <laughs> As you Google this to find out before you make a promise, huh? No, no, no. Listen, if Tony Scott ever wants to come to Canada... I would let director Tony Scott come kick me in the balls. Oh, he passed away in 2012. That's too bad. <laughs> what about Tom Cruise? If Tony Scott's children would like to come to Canada and kick me in the balls, I apologize. But you know what? A good time for our 50th episode. Yes. How about this beer, Noel? Is that a good time for you? I liked it. Um, I thought that it had a really nice balance of the citrusy hoppy notes, but also with maltiness. It wasn't too far in either direction. We've drank a couple that I think have been extreme on either end, and I thought that the people at Barnstormer 
did a nice job of balancing it. I couldn't tell that it was an 8.4. It didn't feel that way for me. In that sense, it was really good. Unfiltered, I know some people have trouble with uh, the particles floating around in their beer when they get it that way, but it's something that I'm grown accustomed to for sure as, as I've been drinking craft beer for a while now. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I see this stuff floating there and I'm just kind of like, oh, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it psychologically, but... I'm going to agree with a lot of what you just said. Uh, we had a double IPA a couple weeks ago. We watched Double Impact. And that, to me, was like a slap in the face with, like, the IPA. Like, this is a high alcohol content, whatever. This was a lot more balanced. I still did not enjoy it. It's still too much of an IPA for me. But uh, it was a good mix of malt and hops. And there were some kind of, like... I guess you would call them notes in there that I was able to pick up on and like it helped make it more manageable for me. So still not my call. I agree though. I would not have necessarily known this was double IPA just by drinking it. So if you're into like lighter double IPAs, good one to check out. Yeah, overall, not not my favorite, but, uh, you know, it <laughs> that was, was, that that was, was never going to happen. That was kind of high praise for you for an IPA, though. You had some very um, middling, um, almost attractive uh, kind of descriptions in there for that beer, and I thought It's the Kelly McGillis of beers It's the Kelly McGillis yeah. of beers for you, which is, uh, which is not horrible, right? There could be no. a much worse for that. I think you're right. I think what's nice about this beer is it the finish is also not kicking you in the face, right? And no, that's it's not. what makes it's a it a little smooth to go. And with that, our 50th episode is coming to an end. And so is the first half of our second season. This is where we fuck off and take a little break before coming back for the second half. We'll be returning right around March. Uh, we're going to finally watch Showgirls after it lost our season premiere face-off. We are going to watch it. We got a St. Patrick's Day episode happening. We got a 420 episode happening because April 20th is a Wednesday this year. Um, we're going to do some more black exploitation, some more horror. We got a lot of fun stuff happening. So please come back in a few weeks and check us out. In the meantime, keep uh, stopping by our Instagram and Twitter at the BMB Podcast. We'll be posting some clips and highlights and some other stuff on there. If you have uh, any suggestions for beers and movies that you'd like to see in that second half, feel free to send them to the DMs of those social media or send us an email at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. And what a great chance to catch up on maybe some old episodes you would have missed. You can go ahead and do that. Also, we have been very slowly working our first season episodes on YouTube. I think we're about like 10 of them are up there now. Uh, we're going to hopefully have more. Hopefully by the time we come back in March, we'll have maybe the whole first season or at least half of the first season or whatever. So check us out there as well. But we thank you so much as always for joining us. And we hope you will join us again in a couple of months. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it goosey. Oh, yeah. I feel the need. The need for speed.